This is Shelley Pikett, and that's my song, Bitch. Well, the one I wrote with Meredith Brooks. I tell all about how it happened in Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, a memoir about my adventures and misadventures on the front line of the songwriting business. You can also hear about Christina, Brittany, Keith Urban, and many more. But my book isn't just about songwriting. It's about passion, pursuit, perseverance for any dream you may have. Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, available on Amazon or at a bookstore near you. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicki's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon. Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Vicky's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicky. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. Welcome to The Road Taken, a treasure map to success, where we talk with people who've managed to manifest their desired destiny, who are living their dream, and in some cases, beyond their wildest dreams. What drives them? For me, it's having something to prove to the naysayers. If I had a nickel for every no, every deal that's fallen through at the last moment, I'd have a lot of friggin' nickels. I know that rejection is protection and there are no accidents. Failing is a lesson to get me to the next level, but come on already. I'm 60, goddammit. You know, and at the core for me, it's about seeking love and approval. And of course, the applause. I've trained my kids to clap when I'm finished vacuuming. 
My creative path has most often been met with disdain and cynicism from the people closest to me. Showing them fuels a lot of my fire, and you see where that's gotten me, right? <laughs> Neither have they, but I'm working on it, and hosting this show is a long-held dream come true for me. I've been presenting celebrities in my living room, really, and I know I sound delusional, but we've had two monkeys, a turtle, wind and fire from Earth, wind and fire, Norman Lear, Carl Reiner, Cloris Leachman, Ed Asner. For the past eight years, we've been doing this, and we'll be welcoming many of them who have graced women who write here. It's really cool, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, very cool. Uh -huh. Yeah, I can tell you're really impressed. <laughs> Upcoming guests on The Road Taken include Rob Morrow, John Savage, Judd Nelson, Fred Willard, Bill Moomy, Mike Binder, Bob Cowsill, Howard Kalen of the Turtles. Oh, yeah, we're going to have them all. Which brings me to tonight's guest. Michael Imperioli graced my living room and shared the screen with me. Well, he was up there for like two hours, and I popped in for a moment here and there. But I did get to shoot a one-on-one -on -one scene with him, and about 30 seconds of it made it to the final cut. And to say that was the thrill of my career, well, it tells you plenty about my acting career. But even if my IMDb were as long as his, it would no doubt still remain the highlight. Only trumped if we would have had a love scene. Being on set of The M Word with Michael for a week was a master class. He was so present, bringing something new to every single take. In sharp contrast to his crass, cussing Rick Wrath on Californication, Michael is a soft-spoken gentleman's gentleman whenever the cameras aren't rolling. And he is whatever his character calls for when they are. Best known for his role as Christopher on The Sopranos, Michael earned an Emmy Award, five Emmy nominations, as well as numerous Golden Globe and SAG nominations. In addition to his role as a cast member, he wrote five episodes of the show. He also had a star turn on the right side of the law in Law and & Order and was the voice of Frankie in the DreamWorks Academy Award-nominated Shark Tale. The Hungry Ghosts, a New York City-based feature which Michael wrote and directed, was released in 2009. Later that year, he starred in The Lovely Bones. Michael first came to awareness as Spider in Goodfellas. In his more than 30 film roles, he's worked with Spike Lee on Jungle Fever, Malcolm X, and Clockers, Girl 6, and Summer of Sam, which Michael also wrote and co-executive produced. Michael competed and won the Food Network's Chopped. His winnings were donated to the Pure Land Project, which works to empower grassroots movements for environmental sustainability and community wellness through experimental education in Tibet. Recent credits include starring in the series Detroit 187, Californication, Mad Dogs, and Hawaii Five-0, and appearances on Girls, The Office, Necessary Roughness. But more than any of Michael's professional credits, he's generous, kind, mannered, loyal, dependable, thoughtful, and hot as hell. When I think of the man I hope to meet, Michael possesses every character trait I seek. Do you come in single? I mean, come on. <laughs> Opting to be here in the studio rather than phoning it in, I've come to learn Michael does whatever it takes to make something its best. It's where he lives. I respect that so much as I do him. Michael, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That That's, was like such a long fucking introduction. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of pressure to have to come after that introduction. Yeah, I, yeah. sorry about that. No, but it's, it's true. Okay. I, 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 like, I like didn't want to just summarize you, although that does summarize you because you're so much more than all of that. And I am very prejudiced because you were born on my father's birthday. That's and, right. um, and you share a lot of those traits that I just mentioned. So... You are a nice guy in the middle of this sharky sea, and you play all these really crazy characters that 
I have had no indication that the real you is anything like that. Okay, so this show is about how did you realize your dream? So when you were little, when, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Uh, I didn't really decide to do this as a profession till I f when I finished high school. Oh, wow. Um, were you in plays in school or uh, did you not do that? In the fourth grade, yeah. I did a play, <laughs> but I didn't do a, anything after that. But uh, in high school, I started... Um, reading a lot of plays in the, the library of my school. And I always saw... What, what drew you to that, do you think? Well, I always saw good movies, and I saw theater with my, my parents were very... Where'd you grow uh, up? ...generous about that. In, in New York, mm -hmm. yeah. Right so you'd go to Broadway? Yeah, and um, cool movies, and, you know, in the, in the 70s, when I was, you know, old enough to start going to movies. Was, my dad uh, particularly really loved movies and acting and actually he did community theater when i was in high school he was a bus driver in, in the bronx but he he did I'm community the theater yeah and 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 that uh so there was that connection that way and then can you think of any of the movies that you went to like that started to turn that wheel yeah um dog day afternoon mm -hmm. um night cowboy mm -hmm. i saw them probably Little too early. You I know? was going to say you. Ha I, was I was young really when those young, came yeah. out, so I was you a little were really too young. Yeah, it was not. Yeah. not uh, <laughs> it was too early, but they made a very big impression. Um, and it something about the act; those actors stuck with me. You know. Mm -hmm. um, How about Broadway? Do you remember like the early shows you saw? We saw a show called Death Trap. That was oh that yeah, ran for I a saw very that. That was time. fabulous. Yeah, that was good. Mm -hmm. And we saw Barnum. I saw that too. With Jim Glenn, Dale and Glenn Close. Glenn Close, yeah. We saw a, mu a couple of musicals, but there was something about being in a theater and mm -hmm. see seeing actors, and um, that was, uh, it just seemed like such a rich world, mm -hmm. you know. But but it didn't seem like a feasible occupation, so through high school... What did you think you wanted to be then? Well, I was, I was a pretty good student, so mm -hmm. I figured maybe I'll be a doctor. I thought there was something, hmm. a noble profession, mm -hmm. and uh, I was thinking of doing that in college, and then... I decided not to go to college, you know, right during the summer between high school and college, like mm -hmm. pretty late in the summer. Actually, where were you supposed to go? I was going to go to Albany State University in New York mm -hmm. the night before we were supposed to leave. So it was like September, I guess. Um, I just I said to my parents, you know, I, I don't think I really want to do this. Oh, they must have been so thrilled. Well, they were they were very kind about it and and they said and they said, well, what do you want to do i said I, I you know they i think they knew i was going to maybe start taking theater i, I might have said that well i'll study pre-med but i'm going to maybe do some plays and i said i really want to go to acting school and i want to go to lee strasberg institute because i heard that that was the best acting school and they said listen it's your life you got to do what you want to do and something clicked that summer where i said you know this is it you know what i mean now i'm out of school I'm out of high school. It's adulthood. It's the real world. Now, if you could do anything you want, you may as well try to do what you want to do most. And, I, and now, I, at that point, had you done had you done any theater? No, in the fourth you, grade. You had no. just in the fourth grade. No. But I mean, you, th this is just like a dream based. So you don't even know if you can do it yet. You just want to do it. Well, you have to be deluded into thinking you can <laughs> do it. And it sounds like your parents were really supportive. They were anyway. very supportive. They still are. But I think delusion. I don't know if it's for all art forms. It probably is, but uh, delusion really is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And obsession and thinking, mm -hmm. you know, you have to have an unshakable 
confidence that you really can do this. When did you start writing? Were you doing any writing back then, or is that something that I started writing a couple of years after that? Mm-hmm. I, like at twenty. Okay, so so you're eighteen. You're not going to college. Mm. You've decided you're going to be an actor. What do you do? So I go to the city, and uh, my parents are like, okay, go to acting school, but you need to go to college. So maybe you start in January. So I went to NYU and got a brochure. <laughs> And I started walking. I didn't know where Lee Strasberg was. I mean, I didn't even know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that was the actor's studio. I wasn't. I didn't know what was happening. But mm-hmm. so I got a brochure at NYU, and I started walking uptown towards Grand Central from the Village, which mm-hmm. is pretty far. Yeah. And on the way, you passed Stella Adler, didn't you? I passed you? Lee Strasberg. Oh, you passed. Okay. I see Irving Place, and I never heard of that street, and I make a left, and then I see this big banner, and it says Lee Strasberg Institute, which I took as a very good omen, and I went in, and I started studying. Oh, you did study there. Yeah. I I thought I read that you studied with Stella Adler. I studied uh, very briefly, Mm -hmm. but um, I was at Strasberg for two years, and then I studied with a woman who opened her own studio. She was from uh, Strasberg, and I stayed with her for about four years. So now you walk into Strasberg. You have no training. Mm-hmm. And you got? Didn't you have to audition to get in? No interview. They interview you. And so, what was that like? Like, what got you yeah, in there? Like, what do you? What kind of mm-hmm. acting do you like? What mm-hmm. do you? You know, I mean, that was a long time. I don't really remember mm-hmm. so well. But um, yeah, I think it was good that you didn't have to audition because I don't know what my audition would have been if you never if you never done it. I and mean, it's more about what your aspirations are and mm-hmm. if, if this is the right place for you. And I had. Um, Two really good teachers there. Elaine Aiken, who was this woman, she, she passed mm-hmm. away, but she had her own studio. And um, she became a real mentor of mine. She made a big difference in my life because she, um, she said, listen, you don't have to go to college, but you do have to educate yourself. And if you want to be an artist, I mean, if, if you consider this an art, which it is, and you should, then you have to educate yourself about all the art forms and, and go to museums. And she took some of us to the Met. And wow. She said you have to read good literature and know about good music. And So doing the Strasbourg Institute, it wasn't like if you did Strasbourg as as your studio in NYU, you were like in conservatory, basically. No, I wasn't. I just went to two classes a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays Okay. Uh, from, from one to five. And then I left Strasbourg after two years. So wait, what were you doing the rest of the week while you were doing that? Trying to get auditions and going through backstage at trade newspaper and, and were working. You, were you I was auditioning? working in restaurants. Uh huh. Well, I, I went to auditions out of backstage, but they were like cattle calls. For, mm-hmm. you know, you'd, I did it. I know. You'd spend eight hours waiting online to do a monologue for a play in a shithole that didn't, call, that didn't pay any money. Right. I mean, I did that for years mm-hmm. and, and tried to get agents. I got thrown. I mean- Back then, you could actually walk into an agent's office, you know, and it's not like buildings didn't have security that, this is 1983, they didn't have security like they do now, you have to have ID and everything. Right. I would just go in with a headshot and get thrown out and... Okay, so wait, you said you did this for years. I, I want to know, like, I wanted to know if, like, the sea just parted for you and, like, no. this was an easy no, process. No, I did this for a long time. It took me four years before I got a play. What was your first play? It was an off-Broadway play that mm-hmm. didn't, I don't think it paid money. Mm-hmm. It was actually written by uh, a guy who wound up winning an Oscar for Crash and uh, oh, wow. Bobby Moresco. I think he wrote Million Dollar Baby, too. Him uh-huh. and Paul Haggis are team. But it was his play that he wrote, and I got fired after opening weekend. <laughs> Why? I was the lead in the play. And the play had a lot of press because it was mm-hmm. based on, I think, part of his life. It was mm-hmm. centered around, like, the Westies in Hell's Kitchen, you know, and 
So it was it had it had the it was an article in the Times about it because it was based wow. on this guy's life. Yeah, so it had a lot of buzz, mm-hmm. and there was a TV director who who who, uh, who directed it. But um, I didn't know how to work. I knew how to act in class, but I didn't know how to take direction. So you direction. had never been no. in a play in no. class. You'd never put on. No, a, we didn't just put scene on plays. Study. We did scene nights, right. but you don't work with a director first of all, which I didn't know how to do. Uh huh. And I didn't have any sense of theatricality, meaning I didn't project my voice very well. Uh, I was afraid to, or I felt it would break my truth. I didn't care about rhythms or timing or anything like that. I mean, they, and I didn't, didn't lis- listen to the director because I thought I knew better, but they were, they were right to fire me because I, I wasn't seasoned enough. It was mm-hmm. a very big lesson. Mm-hmm. And eventually I did learn how to act on stage and take direction and... Even if I didn't like a director, learn how to take direction, give them what they want, but do what you want at the same time, you know, and learn those things. It was it was a hard lesson. I was devastated. You know, I thought my career was over at 21, you know. It was, you were 21? Yeah. I started studying. I was 17 when I finished high school. So it was four years of that. But even after that play, I, was st- I worked in restaurants, you know, to support myself, among other jobs. But... Um, then one of the Where'd students... Where'd you work? I worked at Maxwell's Plum. Do you remember Maxwell's Plum? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I worked, uh, got a lot of places. Film Center Cafe, mm-hmm. Shea Josephine, uh, Le Zinc, the old one in, mm-hmm. in the 80s in Tribeca. Um, God, I worked at a lot of places. Okay, so now you're working as a waiter. You're mm-hmm. still taking class. You're still taking mm-hmm. classes? Yeah, no, you're st- definitely. You're, okay, so you're Well, st- it, it, class became... Uh, see, I met a lot of people who of like mind in the mm-hmm. same situation, and 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 we slowly started to do our own, produce our own stuff. So I produced a play about a year after that, an Arthur Miller play that a, a friend of mine directed, um, and a bunch of people from the class were in a play called Incident at Vichy. And then, so you directed a play before you ever, no, you pr- oh, you produced it, it right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you produced a play before you ever really acted in one. Yeah, and then he started writing plays. This friend of mine, Tom Gilroy, and then. Uh, I acted in some of those and directed some, and it was a lot of the people from my class, some of whom I still work with today. A couple of them were wound up on The Sopranos and wow. various things that I've done. And we did a bunch of stuff together. You know, we kind of started a, like a little company. And so, like, what I say to actors, like, recently I was on a movie and a young acting student came up to me from Italy and he said, I'm moving to LA. What do you kind of advice do you have? I said, find a really good class. And he was so disappointed to hear that. I mean, it was like, he was like, that's it? I said, well, find a class where there's people of like mind and people at the same level as you. Mm-hmm. So you can start to create things together or tell each other what's going on. It's like, that's the best way for things to really happen. It happens organically. It's like, I mean, that's what I did. So I don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go to LA and walk into CAA or, you know, yeah. William Morris and, you know, I mean, I guess that happens. It's like winning the lottery, but I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And I always say an actor has to find a way to work. Meaning, I don't care what it is. Put on a play with your friends, do it in a basement, you know, go out and audition. You have to find it. You can't just wait for it to happen because it won't. So you, you basically created your, your own reality I think you with have these to. people. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. And like people say, well, it's all who you know. And I always say, no, it's who knows you. Ah. Meaning... People aren't going to give you a job because they think you're a nice guy or because they, you know, drink with you on Friday nights. They're going it, to, it's who knows you, who knows what kind of work you do, who you are as a human being and as an actor and as an artist. That gets you work. It's not who you know. It's, so when you started this little thing with these people, yeah. were you able to get people to come see you guys? How did that happen? 
What yeah. happened there? Uh, a woman was in my acting class, had an audition for an agent. We did our scene from acting uh, from our class for mm-hmm. the agent, and he wound up signing uh, both of us. So and then I started going out on auditions, and I started getting. Uh, I got a small role in a movie. I had one line in a movie called "Lean on Me" with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I remember that movie. And what was your line? Come on, you have to remember your I line. I remember, but it got cut from the movie because <laughs> I was so bad. I was so terrible. What was Terrified. The, what was the line? Hey, I'm going to be a star. That was the line. Um, <laughs> but I was good, so Justin, nervous because right? I had never been in front of a camera. Now I'm 22. Never oh been in front God. of a camera, right? Oh, my God. So John Albertson, John Albertson's the director. He did Rocky. You mm-hmm. know, and he's, uh, it's in this big auditorium. Actually, my audition for that movie, first I was hired as an extra, and then they needed... Uh, somebody to do this line. Mm-hmm. They wanted a white kid to do this line. So they, they, they had me, you got to audition for the director. I was already there. Mm-hmm. So at lunch, you audition for the director. Director's in this cafeteria with 500 kids, extras. <laughs> and I go up to his table, he goes, do you have a monologue? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I said, do you want me to do it? He goes, yeah, that's that's what we're here for. <laughs> so I did the monologue, I get the What line. was your monologue, do you remember? I don't know. Okay. I don't remember what I was, I think I, I used to write monologues and do oh, my cool. own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the scene is, I'm in the auditorium and, and he calls out all the bad kids in the school and he puts them on the stage and he says, these are the people who are making everybody's life miserable, they're expelled. Name by name, they call They call my name and I go, hey, I'm gonna be a star, right? But I'm now the camera's there. The camera's like this cyclops of a beast. <laughs> I've never, I have no experience with it. It's more terrifying than anything I've ever imagined. So line, line, here comes my line. And I'm just, so I, I figured, well, if I mumble it, maybe they won't really notice me. So I go, hey, hey I'm going to be a star. And I kind of just turn my head and walk quickly away. And the guy cut and he comes over, he goes down the line to the different actors. Uh, Honey, you got to pick up the pace. Buddy, you got to, you know, that was really good. He gets to me. And you with that line, give me something or you're out of here. And I'm <laughs> So I tried, but it never made it in the movie. I, you can see me in the movie, but I don't say anything. Okay, so so you're an extra in this movie. You have a line, it's cut. Okay, what happens next? I guess I was doing some more plays. I did a couple of small roles in movies. You're, Two you're, more. I'm assuming think, you're auditioning like crazy through this time. Not like crazy, no? but a little bit. Okay. And a little bit better auditions now that I have a, a, an agent working for me. Right. I, so I did two other one-line, two-line things in mm-hmm. movies, and then I, I auditioned for uh, Marty Scorsese, and I got that role in Goodfellas. Oh, my God. Which was a weird thing in itself because I knew what, what he was doing. It was, mm-hmm. why, it was The book was called Wise Guy by mm-hmm. Ni- Nicholas Pileggi. So I read the book, and for the first audition, the first you read for the casting director, I think it was Ellen Lewis and Julia Taylor, they, mm-hmm. who were very helpful in really? my career. Yeah, yeah. They're great. At this point, people. they did they know you at this point? No, or? the agent sent it. They were seeing all the Italian guys in New York. So I read for them and they liked this and come back and see Marty. But the sides that I think everybody was reading was the character of Tommy, which Joe Pesci played. So naturally, I think I'm auditioning for Tommy. You right. Know? Um, <laughs> which is a whole other delusion, delusion. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. And, but that's uh, fair to assume. You're reading the sides for the character. Right. That's fair to assume. So... Um, and I was reading the sides for the for a scene I wound up being in only as a different character. Funny. So then they said that you got the part, but they want you to play this character. Spider, and I look in the book and it's like, you know, three pages. I'm like, I'm actually disappointed now. <laughs> you're in a Scorsese film <laughs> that I'm and not you're starring in it. That's how stupid <laughs> And I how was. old are you? 22, 23, oh maybe. My 20, God. I think we were 23. Wow. And then uh, and we shot that. I worked two days. I did one scene one day, one the other. And... Um, that was a, just an g- amazing experience. 
It really was uh, working with um, people like that, and especially a director like that who mm. really put a lot of faith in um, a very untested young actor. You know? Did he direct you? or how? Yeah, but every, it, the whole thing was improvised. So there was one line in the second scene that was scripted that we kept, but everything else was improvised wow. and different every time. Wow. Um, and I said to him, I want to set up the bar. So I put all the bottles. I basically switched around the bar so I could watch the people playing poker so I can keep a better eye. I don't have to turn away from them. Mm -hmm. And then I said I wanted to reset all the props between takes. And he let me do that. And I hadn't done much. That so was really balls of you. It was really ballsy. But it was also very, uh, it showed so much trust in him. Absolutely. Because he didn't. I mean, and uh, yeah, so I reset the glass. He said, yeah, you're, that's your table. You're the, you know, handling that. And he let me do that. That's very cool. He didn't know me at all. He was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, when I think about it now, that, that kind of generosity is, and, and faith, you know, is um, pretty incredible. Very incredible. So did you know when you were shooting that this is going to be something? No. You know, you, you never know. I mm -hmm. mean, you don't know if the movie's going to turn out good. I, mm -hmm. mean, I mean, you got a good shot if it's him but directing it, but who knows? And mm -hmm. you don't know if you're going to make it in the movie. or how, I mean, and right. also you don't really know how this looks on camera and what point in the movie it happens. Is it going to be cut down? To no I, I had no idea. And then when I saw it at a screening, I was a little bit surprised because it had a lot of, you know, drama to it. And, and uh, you know, the, it was it was kind of a central yeah. in the middle of the movie. It mm -hmm. was it was, a you know, so very memorable. It was very cool. And that helped me. And then from that, Spike Lee had seen uh, early cut, I think, of of Goodfellas because he was friends with Marty and he mm -hmm. cast like eight of the actors from that in Jungle Fever. Mm hmm. And, and, and I started I've done six projects with Spike. Over yeah. the years, yeah. And so, how did how did the summer of Santa, how did that happen? That you well, scripted? that was much later. I think I was about th thirty when that happened. Oh, thirty. Yeah, <laughs> so much that was a way. So that old. was a way. No, but that was yeah. not immediate. You, know? you had a lot of career in between there. I had a lot of career in between there, yeah, and I had a lot of. I wrote a lot of things. I wrote stuff for ten years, and I would, I would every time I would move like every year, usually in New York from mm -hmm. apartment to apartment. I take stacks of notebooks and thing, and I take them all. I never finished anything, plays, stories, books, uh, screenplay, and I would take them all with me. And then I was really frustrated because I didn't, I wasn't getting anywhere. And I realized that I, the reason why I hadn't completed anything is because I said you don't have anything to say. You're in love with the idea of being a writer, but you don't have anything to say. And I took every shred of it and threw it away. And it really liberated me. And wow, yeah, it was like, like a weight, a big weight off of me. And uh, a friend of mine- named, Had you studied, had you taken any writing classes? No, had, no. Just, did you just read any books? To, you just like jumped in and I did read it? a lot of plays and screenplays mm -hmm. and books. I was a, I'm always a reader. Books, not on writing, but fiction, you know. Mm -hmm. But a friend of mine, Victor Caliccio, who's an, uh, an actor also, he wrote uh, the first draft of Summer Sam was based on some things that he had seen, but I had a kind of a strong connection to that story because a similar thing that happened to the main character happened to someone in my family, and I had a lot of ideas about this script. I actually wanted to direct it, so we started writing some drafts together, mm -hmm. and I brought it to Spike Lee, and he was going to executive produce it, and I was going to direct it. But mm -hmm. we, we couldn't really make that happen. You know, the, the scope of the story kept getting bigger and bigger, and I, I got cold feet, and I didn't feel that I really had that kind of technique. Had you directed? Only plays. Uh-huh. Only theater. 
Um, so thing kind of stalled for a while because I just backed off, and then he eventually he said that he wanted to do it, mm-hmm. which was fantastic and wound An amazing up, uh, film. Yeah, wound up I think I told it. you before my brother went to high school with David Berkowitz at Columbus. Yeah, wow, that's been, what a story that is, mm-hmm. and a fabulous movie, incredible movie. Um, so, okay, so how did uh, how did The Sopranos happen? Uh, the Sopranos happened because of the casting people, Sheila Jaffe and Georgian Walken, who. Had uh, I had done a bunch of indie movies with, mm-hmm. and they anything I remotely write for, they'd bring me in. They 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 were very instrumental in my career. Both of them, I owe them. They're really good ladies, and I owe them a lot. And who'd you brought, read they, with? Who'd you read with? I read for for David Chase, mm-hmm. which I thought I really bored him because <laughs> I didn't really know him at the time, and he was he looked not impressed. And were you a good auditioner? Were I don't a, know. That's a good question. I guess so. If you get parts, I guess. You good good cold reading. You're good with the cold yeah, reading I'm not and bad. stuff. Some actors uh-huh. are terrible, but yeah. um, I'm okay. So they called and said, "Yeah, he, he, they want you. To, you have to test for HBO." So they flew me from New York to Los Angeles, and I remember in the waiting room. There was Edie Falco, mm-hmm. who was testing for Carmela. And I knew Edie. We had done some indie movies together, and we were friends, so mm-hmm. that was cool. Lorraine was testing for... How old, how old are you now? 30, uh-huh. 31, 31. Lorraine was testing for the doctor. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Lorraine, but we had you know we d- had done stuff, which we just had never met. And then for me, I was testing for Christopher. But then for Tony, there were three actors testing. There was James Gandolfini. Stephen Van Zant and Michael wow. Rispoli. Wow! And Stephen was kind of dressed like Silvio Dante. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the Silvio hair and stuff. And I'm, I'm looking at the guy's face. I'm like, I know him. I, what have I done a movie with him? And then <laughs> Sheila Jaffe came up to me and said, "That's little Stephen." Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, that's cool. And um, and you go in a room and there's like all these executives and you do a bunch of scenes and and that was it. And were you reading with them? Were you no? I wasn't just reading by with, yourself. I was reading with casting people. Yeah, by myself. And how long did it take till you found out you got the role? I don't remember. Speaking of delusion, did you feel like you had it when you walked out of there? I feel like I did a good job, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and they weren't reading anybody else at the time, so unless I really messed it up, it looked like I was going to get it. And so that experience, when you guys started filming, did you have any idea when you started filming that? What that I mean, you no. could, there's no way you no, could no, possibly no. anticipate what that became. The good became. thing was, you know, first of all, there weren't really series on cable there was very few maybe Arliss was on HBO but there, it wasn't mm-hmm. a thing really mm-hmm. so we're like okay this isn't really going to happen and the pilot script of The Sopranos you know is very very good but it's no indication of where it's going to go I mean I wasn't sure how much of a comedy it was because there's some very funny funny scenes and is this really going to be like a mob spoof is it <laughs> I'm, I wasn't sure you know mm-hmm. but I did like the cat a, lo- a lot of the cast I had known already and had done stuff like this. did you know James Gandolfini before no he's mm-hmm. one of the only people I I didn't know, but mm-hmm. I knew John Ventimiglia. He was in my acting class from mm-hmm. the beginning, and I knew Edie, and I knew Dominic Kines, I knew Tony Sirico, Vincent Pastor, and uh, eventually other people who joined. And I knew it was, so that was all great. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited. Um, I knew Catherine Narducci. A bunch of us had done, did a movie right after we shot the pilot. A bunch of us did a movie called Witness to the Mob about Sammy the Bull Gravano that Nicholas Turturro starred in and Robert De Niro produced. And while we were shooting that. We done the we did the pilot in the summer while we were shooting that around Christmas time we got picked up which was you know we weren't sure we were gonna get picked up we didn't know but we had a lot of fun you know and we always did and so was that set as magical as I think it that was that set was like you know for me it was like going down the corner and hanging out with your friends every day because in, in some ways that's exactly what it really was um, but yeah no it was a it was just one of those things that 
everything comes together in the right way at the right time. And it doesn't happen very often. I mean, and you don't really realize that at the time. You kind of get spoiled. And thinking. Like when I did Goodfellas, I was so spoiled because it was really the first significant role I had in a movie. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. But <laughs> most movies are not like that. Most directors are not like that. Without putting you on the spot, like, did, mm-hmm. have, did you do anything in your career that like you just knew, okay, this is not happening? Did, did you do oh, anything that... Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Tons of it. Yeah. I did one thing. I won't say what it was. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what it was, but I won't say it anyway because it was it didn't do well. But um, it was so bad. I needed the money to buy. I needed new headshots, and uh, I think it was paying me like five hundred dollars. But I really needed it at mm-hmm. the time, and because there was a point where I started not working in restaurants. Right. When was that? Um, I was about twenty five, twenty six. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't making a lot of money. As an act, it was very touch and go. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so something like to get headshots to pay for a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm. was expensive mm-hmm. if you're just acting. So I did something that was so bad. <laughs> I, I was so ashamed of it. And we were shooting on the street of uh, Manhattan. I remember doing this scene. It was so bad. I'm not even going to go into it. But <laughs> while I'm doing the scene, people are actually like, you know, watching from, you know, like, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, this is. This is terrible. I could do better. And then I see a playwright that I had worked with who I really respect watching this, and I'm just, it was so bad. I did I did some bad stuff. And, and the other thing that's interesting about your career is that you really straddled television and movies way before most people did. Like, movie stars didn't do TV, and TV stars I didn't, didn't do, do TV till The Sopranos, really. I mean, I think I did, one, uh, like, a couple of guest spots, like NYPD Blue. Mm-hmm. And one Law and Order, I think, but that was really it. Most, uh, most, I, mostly, I did movies, and that—that's how I made my living. Do, mostly doing independent movies mm-hmm. in the eighties and nineties, early nineties, and stuff. A couple of big movies, not many, but like what? Um, Last Man Standing, the Walter Hill picture with mm-hmm. Bruce Willis and Chris Walken. That's one of the bigger ones. Bad Boys, the Michael Bay right. film with mm-hmm. Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. And how does the experience, I mean, you, boy, this rich experience yeah. you had on The Sopranos, I can't yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. that anything can be like that was. But do you prefer one medium to the other? No, it depends what mm-hmm. you're doing. Depends on the material and like who's doing it, and all those things. So how do you feel about the last episode of The Sopranos? <laughs> I thought it was, I really liked it. I thought, yeah. I, I mean, I knew way before, I remember him mentioning something like that to me, mm-hmm. that everything goes black. But, um... I don't think there there's any ending that could be satisfying. I mean, mm-hmm. Ending, I mean, like a button, you know, mm-hmm. that would that people could take away. I mean, if he's going to kill all his enemies, he's going to get killed. I mean, what could it possibly be? There's mm-hmm. something about that ambiguity that is much more like how life is, you know. So you're doing all this stuff, but you keep your foot in theater as well, right? Because you started, yeah. didn't you start your own theater company for a while? Uh, my wife and I built a theater. It wasn't really a company. It, it kind of became a company by default because of the people, some of the people that we'd known, you know, naturally were going to work there anyway. But um, where, where was the theater? West 29th Street in Manhattan. Uh, we had about six years. We, we just did uh, new plays. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you in any of them? I was in one of them. Mm -hmm. I directed four or five of them. Mm -hmm. Nick Sandow, who's on uh, Orange is the New Black, he plays the warden. I've been binge watching in the middle of the night. He plays the warden. He was fantastic. um, He directed four or five, maybe five of the plays and was in two of them. You Uh, built the theater? uh, My wife and my father-in-law built it. Really, It was a storefront that they Mm -hmm. gutted and then built up to look like a 19th century... 75 seat jewel box it was pretty special wow yeah 
And did you do this so you would have a place to showcase your work? Did you do it for any? What was the motivation? Well, I mean, I acted in one play. Most most of my work was producing and directing. You know, mm-hmm. we we were artistic directors, my wife and I. No, we did it because we liked it. You know, what, it when was, was not that? for profit, but that was the hard part. When the economy tanked is when we had to close because we lost half of our funding in two thousand eight. Hmm. But it was a very creative time because it was, the you know the inmates in charge of the asylum and. <laughs> We is your wife an actress? No, she's an interior designer, but at the theater she did all the sets and mm-hmm. costumes, a lot of the costumes. It was a theater that was focused on the play. Mm-hmm. So everything would be structured around the play. So we'd find the play, we'd cast, you know, it, it wasn't like- Were you like, casting your friends or were you casting- Sometimes, mm-hmm. no, not exclusively though. Mm-hmm. No, and it was finding the right actors for the play. It wasn't like we got to find a play for right. Joe Schmo. It wasn't mm-hmm. or to find a play for me. Well, that wasn't the point. The mm-hmm. point was to find really good plays that hadn't been produced yet from new writers. Did and anything break? No, none of the plays, well, one of the plays Nick Sandow directed and made a movie of called Ponies. Um, but the writers, a lot of them went on to mm-hmm. do, you know, um, like Francine Volpe was our literary director. Mm-hmm. She found a lot of the plays for us and she wrote, we did two of her plays and she went on to do a, a, a lot of other really great off-Broadway work with the new group and Mike Batistic went on to work on television, Ron Fitzgerald, and they all have pretty good careers as writers. And they were just television. starting out when they did this with kinda, you. Kind of, yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's but we had some really good actors and... Uh, Mike Raspoli did something. Juliana Margulies worked with us. Mm-hmm. Elias Kateas, uh, Hamish Linkletter, John Ventimiglia, Nick Sandow, Vince Curtola. We had some really... Sharon Angela, Anthony DeSandos. Just a lot of really good New mm-hmm. York theater people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very creative time. Yeah, it was great. And so that was 2008. So since that time, you've like had a lot of TV work. You yeah. did a lot of series work and stuff. And just recently you were in Portugal. Can you talk about that? I did an indie movie in Portugal with a director who, this is the third movie I've done with him. Uh, he's born in Portugal. Uh, and then he moved to New York at 18 to be a musician. And that didn't really work out for him. And then he started directing movies when he was about 30. He's around the same age as me, 50, 51. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a movie, uh, John Ventimiglia, Nick Sandow, and Sharon. It was cast by Sheila Jaffe and Georgian Walken. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that I had known and worked with were in this movie. And then we did another movie with him in Lisbon when he moved back to Lisbon uh, about nine years ago, or eight years ago. And then we just did this movie, Cabaret Maxime. A lot of these same actors like Ventimiglia and Sandow and Can Sharon Can you tell Angela. us anything about it? Yeah, we shot it for two months it was a wonderful experience. It's a, I play Benny Gaza, who's a cabaret owner. It's like an old school cabaret with live musical acts and burlesque and stand-up comedy and stuff. What year is it supposed to? Is it now? It's kind of now. It's mm-hmm. kind of ambiguous, mm-hmm. really. I mean, it's not defined as one year, but it yeah, it's kind of now. It, it could be 10 years ago, but he's being faced with uh, landlords that want to get him out because this kind of seedy port neighborhood that that it's in it's not even technically lisbon although it's shot there it could be anywhere but Mm -hmm. uh is now becoming hip so any kind of burlesque thing now is a you know slick expensive bottle service strip club and they're high-end restaurants and and the landlord wants to get us out and you know it's basically a story about you know 
the challenge to keep your integrity and the things you believe in. And he, he's created this very weird family that work together and live together. They live above the place. And he's got pressure coming from a lot of different sides, you know, that are threatening to destroy this way of life that he's created and believes in so much. But the, that's what that's about. It's interesting because you play these characters so often that are on the other side of the law, and yet you are one of the most moral, upstanding citizens I've ever met. Uh, I don't know. No, you are. Now you. I don't know that this was always you. Was this no, always you? Were you know. always, were you always? I've always been me. You've always been you, correct. <laughs> That's really good. But the character I play, Benny, right? Yeah. He, he's not doing anything illegal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, he treats these people like artists. You know, they're burlesque performers. They're not like they're not doing lap dances and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, some of them are older, some of them are younger, some of them are huge, some of them are not. There's great musicians. He believes in these people as artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether or not he's exploiting them or peddling flesh is is an argument, but it's not. He's not abusing abusive to these people. Or I don't feel he's exploiting them. I think he really believes in them as giving them a stage to perform on. Um, he deals with people, you know, that are shady people. We we sell like you know bootleg liquor or things like that. But he's he's kind of a very moral guy in mm-hmm. his own way. Mm-hmm. You know, he respects these people that he works with, and he um, I think he's he has a big heart. You know. But like, if you look at your character on Californication, I would yeah. not say those same qualities oh. were there, right? That's no, I hope not. Yeah. No. But, <laughs> but that's acting, right? Right. That's, that's what that's, we do. We that's... pretend. <laughs> so, is there anything that you haven't done yet that you dream of doing? Do you do you have dreams that you haven't fulfilled yet? Um, you know, I, I I've always. You know, like I was saying before, it's like an actor has to find a way to work. I basically was doing the same thing I'm doing now that I was when I look at it. When we started doing our own stuff. You know, uh, Tom and, and Gilroy and I and, and uh, other people. It's like I'm basically doing the same thing I've always done. You know, it's so... No, there's not like a role I want to play. I, I don't have that kind of... Is thing. there anything that you didn't get to play? Is there anything you auditioned for that you really wanted that you didn't get? Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's lots of stuff. Yeah, so you're more... I mortal. lost... A, I, you know, the, uh, uh, there was a play I really wanted to get. A writer that I worked with wrote this really great play. And this is... What year is this? 1988, mm-hmm. 1989. And uh, I worked really hard. I really wanted to get this play. And I went through a bunch of auditions and it came down to me and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Philip Seymour Hoffman got the part. We had known each other a little bit, mutual friends. Um, nobody really knew who either one of us was mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, I knew him a little bit and I thought, oh, I'm way more right for this. I'm really <laughs> surprised that he got it. I, mean, uh-huh. I might, Maybe I hadn't seen him act yet. Mm. So I went to see the play, and I was like, you know, definitely pick the right guy, and I'm blown away <laughs> by what he did. So that education that you were told to get, did you get educated? Yeah, I definitely learned about art, painting, and music. And uh, Well, New York in the early 80s was, there was a lot of fluidity in the art scene, like a lot of, out of the punk movement, the post-punk movement happened, a lot of musicians became actors or writers or filmmakers. There was a lot of fluidity doing that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so compartmentalized than I think it is today. And I was kind of part of that world, you know. Um, I read on on your bio that you play guitar and you have a rock band. I, I, I I started playing, I was in a band very early in my life, how 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 old were um, you? Eighteen, I think, for a couple of years, and then I was in uh, as a guitar player. Then I was in another band as a singer 
I really want to see this. I don't know about you, Justin, but this I want to see. Um, but no, we, we, what we, kind of music? Like New York kind of punky, indie-ish mm-hmm. rock. But uh, then I didn't play for many years. But I played alone, you know, in my mm-hmm. house, and I just I just missed that collaboration with other musicians. So I started in uh, 1996. I started playing with two musicians, and mm, we well we haven't played together in a, uh, quite a bit, like in a year or two now. But for about eight years, we were very consistent. We played all over. Um, playing out, playing out, in all clubs. over New York. We did an East Coast tour. We played wow. a couple of shows out in Los Angeles. We opened for some. Do you record? Do you have a CD? We have some recordings. We never really sold CDs or put them out. For, I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> but um, I learned a lot about music and and literature. You know, are you self-taught musician, or did you take lessons when you were a kid? No, I didn't learn guitar as a kid. I learned it as an adult, but mostly self-taught. Then, when I started playing with the band, I, I took some lessons from a great musician named Richard Lloyd, who was in the band Television, who teaches guitar. Um, and I took—I didn't study too much with him, but it helped me tremendously to teach me how to practice mm-hmm. properly. And Do you still play around the house and stuff? I don't play as much. I mm-hmm. developed some really bad tendonitis mm-hmm. in the last year in my thumbs, and it's gotten a little bit more difficult. But my mm-hmm. son plays. My son is 14, and he started playing three years ago. And very, very, very quickly, in a couple of months, he became so much better than I was. Wow. <laughs> wow. But um, Self-taught or is retaking lessons? Both. Uh-huh. I wanted to ask you about that. So as a parent now, so you come from supportive parents yeah. who were cool about you choosing yeah. the path you did. They didn't really have a choice anyway, though. So. I would have done it anyway, to be honest. I'm very grateful for their support. Mm-hmm. Really, I always will be. And it really was very helpful. Mm-hmm. But I would have done it anyway. So how about your kids? So you have... Three kids. You have a daughter and yeah. two sons, right? So your daughter's already... How old is she? She's 26. Yeah. And what's she doing now? She does photography. Mm-hmm. She works for a company and does like web stuff and catalog stuff for um, a company. Um, but she studied photography and, you know, has, she went to a really good public high school in New York that had a dark room. So she did stuff you know, from a young age. She mm-hmm. had a really good teacher there and she mm-hmm. develops, learned on film and all that. And how about your sons? I understand you have one who's uh, a very talented comedian. So are you supportive of I have of a them? son who's done, yeah, stand-up comedy with mm-hmm. the great Wheezy Planker. Yay! And um, she's into writing and film and things like that. He's done some acting. I did a movie about nine years ago that Oprah produced called For One More Day. It was a Mitch album book screenplay and he played me as a boy oh wow and then on detroit 187 he played my son for two episodes so he's done some acting too but i think he's more interested in writing and your youngest musician guitar player yeah. and is that blues. what he, wants he to plays do? blues guitar like mm-hmm. muddy waters and bb king all that kind of stuff which i don't even know where that came from because it's not i mean i love that you music, didn't expose him to that music no i mean i love that music but it's it's not something I listen to regularly. Well, now I do with him, but I didn't at the time. I was much more rock and rock and roll. So you sang in this rock band, but you don't come from music. You didn't do musicals when you were acting. Did you do it? Have no, you done any musicals? I'm not, I mean, that's a big difference. Singing <laughs> in musicals and singing rock and roll. Two very different things. They can be. Well, yeah. look at Meatloaf. He could do. Well, Meatloaf's an exception. <laughs> yeah. not, 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 I don't do anything like what Meatloaf is. So you just did this movie in Portugal. What's like on your plate coming up? Anything you want to do? I'm involved in two writing projects, but I can't talk about them because okay. they're too, you know, I, I don't like talking about stuff until it's really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking for a new acting gig. Out of work, Michael Imperial. Yeah, that's the funny thing, right? You read this big resume and all these credits and stuff, and I'm actually, reality of it is I'm sitting here unemployed. 
Right. That's just like insane. But I'm sure you won't be for long. So no, but it always feels <laughs> like you know when every time you are between jobs, it feels like you never you never work again. It's pretty strange. You haven't gone long periods where you haven't no, worked. No, it's never that long. Sometimes it's longer than others, but something always happens. But it always feels like it never will anymore. It's very strange. And I've talked to other people and they all have that. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them feel the same way. I think because when you start out, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. You know, Charles Grodin wrote this book called It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here, <laughs> which is the vibe he always felt when he went into audition for stuff, you know? <laughs> and I, I really understood that because I still feel that today, you know? And I think it's because... Do you still audition? Sometimes, yeah. Really? Yeah. If it's something that people haven't seen me do. Well, like, because your role in Californication was like, nothing else I I've didn't seen you do. For that. Yeah, but that's like nothing else I've ever seen no. you do. I mean, you're perfect for it, but I mean- I, I met mm -hmm. uh, Kapanos for that, but I, I don't think I had to read. Um, but- uh, I can't imagine you reading for anything sometimes, now. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> if they're assholes sometimes. Sometimes it's that. <laughs> yeah. That they don't really? have no, well, yeah, it's like go online and look at some of my shit, you know, instead of just <laughs> coming in and have me read. But if it's something that's really out of the box, I understand that and mm -hmm. I, I'm okay with that, mm -hmm. you know? How'd you end up in Henry Jaglum's film? I don't know. They called. Casting director called my manager out of the blue. I had never met any of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I heard of Henry and I heard he was very interesting. What did you think of that experience? Because talk about improvising oh, an so entire film. It was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Re very exciting. I mean, it's called the M word, by the way, for those of you who don't really know. Really unorthodox way of making movies, you know. But He's a maverick. Yeah. You know, I had a meeting with Francis Coppola like about a year after we did M word mm -hmm. for something that I don't know if he's done. It's the first time I met him. And he had my resume mm -hmm. and he's looking through it and he was, so you work for Henry? You know, and the thing, the only thing we talk about was Henry Jaglin because he knows Henry from way back. And he's like, it really amazed me that he just does his own thing. He finances, distributes all independently. It's unbelievable. He does a film he every does year. A movie it looks every like, year. Yeah, and he's crazy. done tons of them. And he was very impressed by that. Henry edited Easy Rider. That's, I mean, he has like the most interesting career. He yeah, made Orson Welles' last film. No, I know. He like introduced Jack Nicholson. Guy. He's like, he's. I had a lot of fun working with Henry and, and Tana Frederick. It was, it was, it was a blast. So you're a Buddhist, yeah? Yeah. How did that happen? I assume you weren't born into no, it. No, 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 no. I don't know no. too many Italian Buddhists. But... No. A lot of Italians who become Buddhists, mm -hmm. but how did that happen? Because I'm assuming that your spiritual path is an important part of your life, who you are. Yeah, sure. I got exposed to it through Jack Kerouac, through his writing, mm -hmm. when, but in my late teens. And it's something about it I liked, but I really, it didn't take any hold of me. It's something I, I liked. Something drew me to it, but it was premature for me, and I didn't. Well, you raised cat, like, yeah. and yeah. like serious, like altar boy, like Not that kind of. Not an altar boy. No. no. Okay. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really follow through on that, mm -hmm. and then I got very busy with trying to be an actor, mm -hmm. and. Um, after achieving some level of success in this business and so a success that I had really pursued, you know, intensely mm -hmm. in a way, there was something that still didn't sit right, you know. And I started reading a lot of different spiritual texts and different approaches and things, and mostly from an Eastern perspective and mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. And um, I went to see a teacher in New York and uh, Buddha, a Tibetan Buddhist teacher and that's how it happened and i just found my way and then i, I took refuge taking refuge uh means you take vows to become a buddhist with uh, the teacher that i as my lama today and mm -hmm. about five years six years ago and it's um you know learn meditation and things like that and it's uh, do you meditate every day almost every day mm -hmm. you know some some days is, things happen but Pretty much. Is your wife a Buddhist as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do that together. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Through a mutual acquaintance. Yeah. 
not not too exciting. How long have you been married? 20 years, almost 20 in September, maybe 20 years. It's pretty wonderful. I mean, I've seen you in action on set and stuff, and um, you're a good man. You're a, you're a good well, guy. You're a okay, good lady. Okay, so, so good man, good guy. Do you have a guilty pleasure, Michael? Anything that makes you human? Because you've accomplished way too much. Guilty pleasure. I don't know if it's... I guess you would call... I mean, I like um, Futurama and yeah. uh, American Dad. But you don't feel guilty about liking those things. That's okay <laughs> I could like. be reading a book or something or meditating or... Do, do you feel you know guilty what I like? if you start to watch? I like watching um, funny things before I go to sleep, like for like a half hour or something. I don't like watching anything disturbing or intense or emotional. Before I go to sleep, I like watching something funny like The Honeymooners or The Simpsons or Seinfeld or lately it's been uh, American Dad and... Uh, well, that that can be kind of disturbing at times, <laughs> but it's it can be pretty funny. And uh, Futurama, I like that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Futurama. You should have see to it. Watch, it's very smart. Now. It's very really? clever. It's, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's Matt Groening who, who did The Simpsons. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, that's but it's uh, um, it's very smart. And I think they they talk to a lot of scientists mm-hmm. for for material. You know, because there's a lot of interesting things about science, but it's very funny. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Have you done any voiceover work for any of the only for shows? Uh, I did a movie called Shark Tale. Okay, yeah. Um, that was the only animation. Yeah, it's hard. It's not my thing. I mean, some actors are really, really good at it. It's it's very hard. How I so? Like, because acting for me is like really being with somebody mm-hmm. and feeding off another actor and something. It's just me trying to make lines happen and hitting mm-hmm. dialogue and stuff. It's not my my thing. You mm-hmm. know? You know, my thing is about being present with someone, having them be present with me, and seeing what's re- and really trying to affect each other. And when you're reading, just because li- you really have to go line by line mm-hmm. and hit this word harder and make it more punchy and stuff like that it's to me very inorganic although it was it was a great experience because i thought it was a really good movie mm-hmm. and really good people but i really realized oh wow this takes you know to be really good at something right to be really to be able to put yourself into it you know takes technique mm-hmm. and i don't really have it for that you know maybe i could if i practice but some actors really have it and they do right Really, really remarkable things with it, you know? Well, everybody out there, Michael Imperioli is available for hire. So if you've got your uh, movie happening or your television show, um, you should be calling his agent. Who's your agent these days? <laughs> Let's I have him. really good agents. It's not, I'm not, it, listen, it's, I just did a movie, so it's good to have some downtime. I'm not. I'm totally, uh, you, you're going to be working like as soon as you I just was be on working. a series and with the series, it was one season. So what series was that? It was Mad Dogs on Amazon. So oh. when you do a pilot, right, then the pilot gets picked up, then you wait to go shoot the series, then you shoot the series, then you wait for the series to go on. So you're kind of out of the market for that mm-hmm. whole time. So now right. that, that's so only it possible gonna, there's going to be another season of that. That that's that was, it was kind of meant to be one season. Mm. They, they weren't sure, but it's going to be one season. So now, you know, now it's time to look for other things, you know. Yeah. I don't think you're going to have to look too hard. We'll I'm see. sure it'll be coming to Who you. Knows? Michael, thank you so much for coming and talk to me. I Thanks really appreciate it. Me. Michael Imperioli. So, Justin, do you have like a, a takeaway from Michael Imperioli? I, I, I think. Do you? Anything strike you? Um, I'm putting uh, you on the spot. Yeah, I was like, oh, all right, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. I, really good hair. Really good hair. <laughs> really good hair, even though it's gray, um, ish. Um, I for me, I think the takeaway was get educated. You know, I thought it was really, really interesting that he's one of the smartest people I know. And he's accomplished so much. He's writer, director, producer, actor. And um, he didn't go to college. I don't want my daughter to hear this show. <laughs> <laughs> he gave up on on 
college and just went straight to uh, acting school. But um, but that advice he got as a young man to educate himself, he did, and he took it really seriously. So I, I think that's the takeaway from from Michael that I have from this is uh, educate yourself. So if you're on the path and you're trying to uh, make something happen, you're trying to get your success, whatever that is, educate yourself. And there are a few areas that I could use some education, like Justin, I need you to teach me how to sound edit because I have no clue how to do anything <laughs> like that. But uh, yeah, education is really important with everything. So yeah, he self-taught himself how to write. Um, yeah, pretty pretty amazing. I'm um, really impressive human being. I really like the man. What'd you think? Oh, it was great. He was he was a great uh, interviewee, and uh, he gave some really good insight into uh, his career. And uh, yeah, like you're saying, uh, it was really interesting of him saying uh, how important it is to learn uh, just from a variety of just schooling and uh, reading and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's uh. He's a pretty amazing guy and an incredible actor. And I love that he was saying, I don't even know if he said this on on the show or when we were talking afterwards, um, that I think it was afterwards, actually. I was asking him because I had read that he studied with Stellar Adler and we didn't really get to that. He was saying, you know, that Stra- he only studied there briefly and he said that, you know, the Stellar Adler approach was very different in that... Um, she said that you have to embody your character and become the character and he from Strasbourg and, and um, Michael's approach is to bring himself through the character. And I think that shows in his work because there's always so much authentic him in everything, even though his characters are always so different. um, There's always authentic truth in everything he does. Uh, Amazing depth to his work. He's amazing. And for me, the problem with Michael is that when I look at him and I sit across from him, I look into his eyes. I don't think we broke eye contact for five seconds that entire time. And I got to tell you, I got so lost in those eyes that I was having a really hard time focusing on what I wanted to ask him. And what ended up happening is that we took the head when we took the headphones off as we were saying goodbye to Michael. That's when I started thinking of all these questions I wanted to ask him, like, "What was your personal relationship with James Gandolfini like? Um, do you have did you have any bad behaviors? Do you have any bad?" And he started to answer, and he was like, like, "Put put the put the headphones back on. Let's do this." And he was like, "Nah, we'll do it next time." So Justin, we're gonna have to have Michael back because there was yes. a lot of really compelling stuff. And as Weezy just said, next time he's got to wear sunglasses so I don't get lost in his eyes those dreamy eyes anyway well I had fun and I learned stuff about Michael and always enjoy his company and uh, enjoy spending the hour with you Justin and um, you have been listening to Vicki Abelson's broadcast The Road Taken look forward to seeing you next time we'll be here every Tuesday night 6 o'clock Pacific time 9 Eastern time 8 Central and yes There are, Justin just reminded me, you can find us at at Vicki Abelson on Twitter, at Vicki Abelson on Instagram, Vicki Abelson on the Facebook, and VickiAbelson.com on the internet. So say hi, check us out, follow us or me, and I'll send you to Justin and we'll do that thing there. Have a great week.
This is Shelley Pikett, and that's my song, Bitch. Well, the one I wrote with Meredith Brooks. I tell all about how it happened in Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, a memoir about my adventures and misadventures on the front line of the songwriting business. You can also hear about Christina, Brittany, Keith Urban, and many more. But my book isn't just about songwriting. It's about passion, pursuit, perseverance for any dream you may have. Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, available on Amazon or at a bookstore near you. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicki's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicki wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. 